Morning, Genu. Good to see all of you here today. We've coming out off for a couple of weeks. Pastor Ryan, fantastic job last Sunday, my brother. Man, brought it. It was good. It was good. I listened to it Tuesday when I was going over to Panama City to check on my parents and, and help out with my dad a little bit. And uh, um, great message, great message. Kim and I enjoyed a couple of weeks off. We, um, we celebrated our 39th anniversary last Saturday. Saturday was a week ago. And so, yeah, she's hung around for all that time uh, with me, no, no doubt. So uh, I'm, I'm greatly blessed. She's a great lady, and, and I'm honored that she's my wife. Um, we're getting right into it today. Uh, we're going to be starting a series called On the Armor of God. Now, when we get into the actual pieces of armor, we're actually going to have a, a, a set of armor up here on the platform so you can kind of see what's going on. Today is kind of an introduction, and I didn't really want to have that up here uh, while I'm doing the introduction because it's all about context. Uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about relevance today. Everybody, wanna, we want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. Well, you know, you can be unbelievably irrelevant if you're not in the right context. Okay? Um, and we found that out here in this town a few years ago. We used to have a thing called the Mullet Festival. Anybody remember the Mullet Festival? Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, it was a kind of a country music thing, you know, and that's kind of the, the thing around here is country music, and, and, and I love country music. But the problem was when they sold it to a, a, a group of promoters, they started turning it into something other than a country music festival, and it died in a year. Why? Well, we're trying to be relevant to the crowd. Well, <laughs> you need to understand your context. Um, there's just some things you got to recognize and you got to know to understand the armor of God. You need to recognize the context in which Paul was speaking and why he's bringing attention to something like armor. And so today we're going to kind of talk about the context a little bit. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're only going to deal with the first three or four verses here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, we've already talked about why we need to kind of break this up a little bit, and that is about the context. So let's, let's look at verses 10 down through verse 12, three verses there, uh, and let's kind of explore some specific statements in here that will give us the backdrop as to why we need to know and understand and actually utilize the resources or the armor, if you will, that God has provided for us. The first thing he says is, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. The literal translation of, of this is strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in God. We, a lot of guys, a lot of people, men and women, both, they go to the gym, they're working out with weights, they're doing CrossFit, they're doing all kinds of stuff to strengthen. You've got to strengthen your core. I, you know, my core is getting larger, I can tell you that. Uh, you know, that I'm trying to, trying to get back to uh, a fighting weight, but I'm a long ways from that. 
Um, but the deal is we always, we want strength in our life. We want strength. And so we're always doing something to strengthen our physical bodies. We strengthen our mind, all of this kind of stuff. But here it's not about that kind of strength. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Verse Samuel 30 and verse six, David, they've just come back. Uh, and the Amalekites had raided Ziklag, burned it, stole everything, took all their wives and kids into captivity. And everybody, even David 600, the closest people to him wanted to kill David. And David is in a pickle. He's in a mess. And all of a sudden he's try, he, he's got to figure out something. And so what does he do? Verse six says this, he was distressed because the men were talking of stoning him, his men. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. They'd been, they'd been kidnapped. They'd been taken. Didn't know if they were alive or dead. But then it says, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. In Zechariah chapter 10, it says something very similar. I will strengthen them in the Lord and in his name, and they will live securely, declares the Lord. So what are we, what are we looking at when we talk about strengthening ourselves in the Lord? Building up, what it means is really building up our belief system that God has us, and he has this. Okay? Too often, I think, when, when it comes to, uh, when things are really good and there's a lot of smooth selling and nothing's wrong, we're just kind of like, yeah, church, good, God's good, yes, hallelujah, all this kind of stuff. But when things go south or tragedy strikes or we come into an, a crisis that we did not expect or we're just hit, we're blindsided by something, our first thing that goes is our faith. We, doubt becomes to come in and we, and we go from being, hey, God's great, God's wonderful, to where are you? Where are you, God? How do we strengthen ourselves? David strengthened himself in the Lord. He reminded himself of God's faithfulness. I think it was Charlie a while ago in one of the songs he was talking about the entire Old Testament deals with God's faithfulness to his people. And that's what we see. That's what we see. The writers of the New Testament said that the Old Testament is given to us as examples. What do we get? These, we, we see the example a lot of times of how not to live, but we also see the faithfulness of God throughout the centuries, history over his people. If we're going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, then we go to God and recognize that God has the situation under control. He is not going to let anything happen to us that we're not, we're, we're not able to handle in the long run. We got to get to a point where we recognize that I may not be able to handle this in my physical strength, in my mental strength, in my emotional strength, but I can handle this thing because I'm a child of God and I'm strengthening myself in the Lord because God is greater than any difficulty that I might face. Okay, we're good with that? All right, notice this, there's one last thing here before we move on. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, I just don't have any joy. That's because you, you're trying to own it. And it's not your joy that's your strength, it's his joy. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy in the Lord. It's the joy that we have from following Jesus and knowing that no matter what happens to us, no matter what's going on, God is right there with us and we have the same power in us, we just sang about it, in us that raised Jesus from the dead. We can strengthen ourselves knowing that the joy of the Lord, and joy, I've, under, I've come to understand this in my years of living, joy is a decision. Oh, but it's an emotion. No, it's not. Joy is a decision that we make. I choose to be joyful. But I don't have anything to be happy about. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. It's like everybody says, I, I just want to be happy in my life. That's not even biblical. Are we not supposed to be happy? We're supposed to be joyful and content. 
Everybody all right? You sure? All right. So we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, recognizing that his joy is what gives us the strength to to face another day, face another difficulty, face whatever it is. But here's a a thought, and I heard someone say this this week on a podcast or something. They said this, we have to recognize that whatever we're going through right now, okay, is preparation for something else in the future. You're either in a trial, just coming out of a trial, or about to go into another one. And everybody said amen. Oh, that's a cheery thought, isn't it? You know, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Ah, oh, but I just need a season of peace. I remember, I remember a story of David in the, in the Bible and, 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 and talked about, and God gave David rest from all, of, all around from all of his enemies. And David, David was at rest. The, the land of, they were at rest. There was no enemies there. The very next chapter, the verse verse said, but the Philistines were gathering in battle array over the hill. <laughs> Keep this in mind. When you have a a season of peace, enjoy it, but don't rest on your laurels and go, I've got this whipped, I've got this licked. Understand that season of peace is to recharge for the next battle that's just on the other side of the hill. Strengthen yourself in the Lord because God knows the battle. He knows the magnitude of the battle, and he's got you as well as your battle. Amen? So we've got to be strong in the Lord. Now, then it says, and his mighty power. His mighty power. Ephesians 1.19, in his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the almighty, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. In Ephesians 3, verse 16, Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here we're told in Ephesians 6, we're told that one way that his power can be effective in our life, yes, it raised Christ from the dead. Yes, it has empowered us to witness and be the things of God. But it also enables us to resist the forces of evil in this world because the same power that, that, rose, that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you and I. As believers, we have the same resurrection power inside of us. Yeah, but I thought that was when the second coming and all this guy. Listen to me. You have it now. It's in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will also keep you and enable you to resist the forces of the enemy as they come against you. Okay? Resisting in your own personal strength, just like with the weightlifting and all that kind of stuff, you can build your physical strength, but it does nothing for your spirit. When you resist the forces of evil in your own personal strength, it's not enough. I just need more willpower. I'm telling you, if it's a satanic, demonic attack, if the forces of evil are coming against you, your resolve will not get you through. Your resolve will not get you through. Yes, we need willpower. Yes, we need resolve. Yes, we need all of those things. But at the end of the day, there are resources at our disposal that helps us combat the forces. And the first thing is the mighty power of God that lives inside of us. We resist the enemy in, our, in the power. God's power is mighty power in the Holy Spirit. Then he says we're to take a stand against the devil's schemes. So taking a stand against the enemy's devices. One translation says wiles. One translation says schemes. One translation says devices. Whatever, you want, whatever translation you read, it all means the same thing. We've got to know what those wiles are. We've got to know what his devices or schemes are. 
2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. So the enemy has multiple avenues of attack. Multiple avenues of attack. You know, we've, we've been, this whole thing in the Ukraine is it's so sad. But if you've watched any of it, you notice that you know they, the invading force Russia tried one way and it didn't work. Now they're trying to, they're trying different multiplicity of ways. This is the same way the enemy does when he comes against you and I as people of God. He doesn't walk up to you and go, "Hey, I'm Satan. I'm going to smack you around today." Because if we did, then we'd go, "Hey, Satan, no." You know, I mean, there may be some that would try to reason with him, but most of us going to go, "No, you're Satan. Forget it. In Jesus' name, blah." You're gone. He doesn't do that. So he comes at us from multiple, in multiple different ways, different devices, different schemes, different avenues of attack, if you will. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, for we, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, this passage in 2 Corinthians is dealing with a specific type of satanic attack or the attack of the enemy against you and I. He's, he ter- Paul is referring to a type of warfare or a type of attack called siege warfare. What is it? Demolishing strongholds. You have the power to divine, demol- demol- you have the divine power to demolish strongholds. What does that mean? A stronghold is an argument or an accusation that has been believed. It's an argument or an accusation. Here's how it works. The enemy comes to you and says, Brian, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. If Brian goes, I'm no good and I'll never amount to anything, he is now, he's believed the argument. And a stronghold is set up. Somebody's car horn's going off out there. And I don't even have my hearing aids on this morning. I can hear that. (laughs) Got to be close. But that's how, that's how strongholds are set up. The enemy comes again. He attacks us in our mind. He whispers something in our mind. And the moment we believe it or embrace it, it becomes a stronghold in that moment. And the enemy comes in, sets up household there, and he builds a gate. He builds a, a, a fortress around that particular area of your life. It can be, it can be low self-esteem. It can be your, your, your ability to, to do anything. You feel like you're worthless. You feel like you're useless. You feel like you're stupid. You're ugly. You're dumb. You're short. You're fat. Whatever you think, whatever the enemy can do to bring you down and, and sow condescension and doubt into your mind, if you believe what he's feeding you, then a stronghold is erected. Okay, but it's a constant barrage. He just constantly, it's just a barrage. And that's what a siege warfare is, where you, you, you cut off the life supply, the supply line to a city. You, you completely encompass it and you cut off the supply line there and you basically starve that city into submission. You starve it into submission. This is a type of warfare that the enemy used. Satan mercilessly attacks our mind with accusations, with arguments. We are under siege from all sides in our mind. Francis Frangipane wrote a book years ago called Three Battlegrounds. He talks about three battlegrounds, the battleground of the mind, the church, and the heavenly places. And in the book, he makes this statement, and I, and I totally agree with this. He said, he said, it's no coincidence that Jesus died on a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull, because one of the greatest battlegrounds that you and I will ever face is the battleground between our ears. We have more struggles here because we believe lies. We believe things that the enemy soaks into, and the enemy 
uses people to say these things. Maybe, maybe when you were real little, someone said or did something to you, and as a result of what was said or done to you, they, someone, you, you believe that, that you're, you are that. And so you've held that, but you're, it's held in a, inside of a fortress, a stronghold in your mind and in your emotions. The thing that we've got to recognize is that the enemy, that the enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, there's some characteristics that are ingrained in him that if we recognize them on this side, we'll know when he speaks to us. For example, it says this, John 8, 44 says he's the father of lies. All right. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language. Have you ever been around someone that is a chronic liar? If you have, that's a language. This is the enemy. This is Satan. If Satan is, is speaking to you, if anybody is saying something to you that is contrary to God's word and God's will and God's way in your life, guess what? That's the enemy speaking lies so that he wants to set up a, a stronghold in your mind. The moment you believe that, the moment you embrace that accusation, the moment you embrace that, that, that argument about you, that is contrary to what God's word says about you, that stronghold is erected. But you have to recognize that Satan is the father of lies. His native language is lie. And if he's speaking things to you that are contrary to the word of God, then you recognize that, you know that, and you take those thoughts captive and you counteract it with the word of God, with the truth of God's word in your life. He also says in Revelation 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The accusations, the arguments, 1 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up to the, against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When the enemy sows seeds of doubt in your mind, when the enemy sows fear in your mind, when the enemy lies to you about who you are and what you are and what you're going to become, I want you to understand this morning that the only way to combat that is with the authoritative, the authoritative word of God in our life. We've got to counteract it with the word because the word is truth. It's the authority over the enemy. It's the word of God. We take the thought, that's not who God says that I am. That's not who God says that I am. This is who God says, and we counteract it. Now listen to me. It doesn't work when you just say it once. Because the enemy has been feeding you a line for years and years and years and years. So every, he says every thought, we take every disobedient thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. In Ephesians 6 here, he's he's referencing different tactics. He talked about the siege warfare in 1 Corinthians, but now we're talking about different devices, different schemes. Some of them are very subtle. We we have them happening to us all the time, but we don't even recognize them as, as the enemy. For example, what about the deceitfulness of humanity? When someone deceives you, oh, I'm never going to be deceived. Mm. I'm sure Adam said that too. And Eve said that too. But here's the thing about this Ephesians 4. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. 
when you believe the stuff that's out there, and you believe the things that are floating around out there, and you just, and you, oh, that's true, that, you, you be, we're being deceived. We're being deceived. And then the second scheme, another scheme that's just as subtle, is the readiness of Satan to exploit strained relationships and angry feelings between believers. Remember, the first battleground was the battleground of the mind. The second battleground is the battleground of the church. And if the enemy can come in and sow sow discord among his children and among his followers, then there's a battleground that's taking place there. And he wants to exploit those strained relationships and those angry feelings that that believers have to one another. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Now notice it doesn't say that you shouldn't get angry, that you can't get angry. It says in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. So not only is is the deceitfulness of people that we get sucked into things sometimes, but it is also that he will exploit strained relationships between people in the family of God. And he'll let you hold unforgiveness. He'll plant that seed of unforgiveness there, and you'll harbor that, and you'll hold that. Sometimes for years and years and years and years and years and years. And I'm telling you, once again, the area of unforgiveness. I'm a Christian. If you're holding unforgiveness towards somebody, you've got a problem. Because you're only, you and I are only forgiven to the level that we're willing to forgive those that have injured us and hurt us. I wish they didn't say that. I wish they just said we could get even. <laughs> I mean, that's the human side of us, Right? You know, I mean, someone cuts you off. I got a big truck. Somebody cuts me off. I, I know what I know what I lose. Let me just push you out the way. Boom. You know, I'll show you how to use that roundabout up there at Walmart. <laughs> I went over to Pensacola Friday, picked up some seafood over at Joe Patty's and 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 come out of there and turn to the right, run right smack dab into one of them roundabout thingy-mabobs. And I'm going, people in Pensacola can't use them either. They can't use them either. But here's the, here's the, thing, here's the thing about offense, okay? This is the thing you need to understand. We're talking about strained relationship between believers, how he, he exploits that, the anger and the, the, the things that we have between one another. Jesus warned us that we're going to be offended. In Matthew 18, 7, he he says, it is impossible, it is impossible for offense not to come. You cannot live this life and not have some type of offense happen to you. It's impossible. Jesus warned us of this almost 2,000 years ago. Why is it that we're so shocked when when, when someone offends us or does something that's offensive to us? Well, I thought they were better than that. It had nothing to do with it. They're human. They're fallible people, just like you and I. Here's the thing. All of us have been offended, and all of us have been offenders. I've never offended anybody. Yeah, you have. You just don't know it. And the truth of the matter is, most of the offense that that people take, the person that's doing the offending is not even aware that they're, they're being offensive. But offense is there. Jesus warned it. So what do we have to do? We, we have got to be careful. We don't pick this stuff up. We don't pick up the offense. 
It happens, it hits us, but we get that thing off of us as quickly as we can. Notice, notice what Proverbs says. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. And, hey, bottom line, be quick to forgive. Don't hold that stuff. Don't hold that stuff. Let it go. Let it go. Be careful not to take an offense because that's one of the schemes or the devices that the enemy uses to destroy his people and the forces of darkness take control over us. The next thing that we see in, this, in the context of this is that our struggle is, not, is a spiritual struggle. It's not a physical struggle. It's a spiritual struggle. The third battleground that Francie Payne mentions is the battleground of the heavenly places, the spiritual realm, if you will. But there's a protocol. There's a protocol in that heavenly realm. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realm. The war, the battles that you and I face every day, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil are fighting to contradict the finished work of Jesus' cross in your life. Well, what is, can you tell me what the, 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 what is, what is the ruler? What is an authority? What is the powers of darkness? And what are the, listen to me. You can drive yourself batty trying to figure out exactly what those things are. Is that a demon with a black belt? I don't know. What is, what is that? What is it? Listen, that's irrelevant. You don't have to figure that piece of it out. What you need to know is that the rulers, authorities, powers of darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil are fighting against you every moment of every day to contradict what Jesus did on the cross in your life. I just need to know what I'm dealing with. You're dealing with evil. That's it. Yeah, but if I know, listen to me. We spend a lot of time majoring on things that are really minor. And I know, I know look, I, a lot of people have written about this. They spoke about this and all that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, if you want to go down that rabbit trail, have at it. But most of us don't have the time for that. And it's not necessary to know that. Oh, I want to know what the demonic forces are, so I'm going to ask them the name. You know, Jesus only did that one time. Once. The rest of the time, he just realized what he was dealing with, and at a word, boom, it was done. Here's what you need to know. Colossians 1.13 says this. Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And the spiritual forces of darkness against us will do their best to reclaim the people of Christ for their own dominion. They want you, they want me, they want us back under the dominion of Satan and his rule again in our life. I don't want to be a part of Satan. Listen to me. Jesus took care of that dominion on the cross. When he died on the cross, he cried, it is finished. The finished work took place then and there. The sacrifice was made once for all of us, and that power of sin in our life had been broken when Jesus died. The ultimate sacrifice for all of us. He took, he took and redeemed us and ransomed us from the dominion of Satan. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't want you back. 
And that's what he's trying to do. That's what the, the, the forces of evil are doing every day. They want you back and me back under their dominion, under their rule. When Jesus died, he went into the grave. He was in the grave. While he was in the grave, he descended to hell. He went up to Satan. He took the keys of hell, death, and the grave. He said, this is no longer you. You don't have the keys to this anymore. I now have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I hold the keys to sin. I hold the, I hold the kingship over all of this, and you're not going to keep the keys. You're not going to keep the keys. Revelation 1.8, this is Jesus speaking. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That is the words of Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, it signified the end of the hold of the forces of darkness over those that follow Jesus Christ. So you want to know really what the protocol in the heavenly realms is? Here's what you need to recognize. Ephesians 1 and verse 20, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, Jesus Christ is the head of it all. He's the one that is over the heavenly realms, and you and I serve him because we're his children and because we serve him, the dominion of sin has been broken in our life. Am I making sense this morning? He's the supreme authority in the heavenly and in the earthly realm. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jin Yu, those of you that are here, those of you that are watching this morning, those of you who are going to watch this sometime in the next week or two, I'm going to tell you today, Jesus is King and Lord. As a matter of fact, he is the King of all kings, and he is the Lord of all lords. He has dominion over it all. He has authority over it all, which brings me to you and I. Where do we fit in this mess? Where do we fit in the scheme of things here? Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Luke 10, 19, Jesus, I have given you authority to trample on snakes, yes, and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. We, you and I, we as children of God, we are kings and priests under God. We're heirs and we're joint heirs with Christ. All authority was given to Jesus, and he in turn gave us that authority to us in his name. So you and I have to take dominion over the forces of evil and against us. We have to take dominion there. So what about the forces of darkness? We talked about Jesus. We talked about all this stuff. So what about the forces of darkness in the heavenly realm? What is, what is the deal there? Notice this in Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now, through the church, and notice this, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, that's an interesting concept. The intent of God now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, I see two problems with this. It's the church's role. It's the role of the followers of Jesus Christ to make known the manifold wisdom of God to spiritual darkness. That's what this says. I didn't write it. 
But I see two problems with it when it comes to the church. The first is we don't live it. We don't live it. We live just like everybody else. I'm a Christian. Nobody can know that by watching you. Nobody can know that by watching you. They see you every day. You act just like anybody else. They see me every day. We act just like anybody else. We don't live it. And because we don't live it, we don't have any credibility. The second thing is that as children of God, as Christians, we've settled. We've settled. We're comfortable in our battle. We're comfortable in our fears. We're comfortable in our sin. We're comfortable in our, in our despair. We're comfortable in the, in the things that the strongholds that are, that are in our life. We're comfortable there. Because we settled. The enemy, we believe the lie. We believe the argument. We believe the accusation. The stronghold was set up. The gate was closed. And we see the gate and we just stop and go, well, that's just there. I want you to see something here, okay? It's very important. Jesus said this to his disciples, speaking specifically to Peter, but to the disciples, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now listen, gates are defensive weapons. You put a fence up and you put a gate in, to keep people out. The enemy, when you believe the lie, erects a fence around that area of your life, in your mind, in your, in your emotion, wherever it is. But there's a gate there. There's a gate there. So what does it mean, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? When the church lives it, and when the church progresses and moves forward, and the things of God, under the mighty hand of God, the gates of hell cannot stop the church. In other words, the gates of hell cannot stop you and I as God's children when we are advancing and moving forward. So the word for you and I today is start living it and don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for less than total victory in your life. Don't settle for less than overcoming the things in your life that the enemy has sold you a bill of goods. Listen to me. You have divine power through the power of the Holy Spirit to demolish the strongholds according to the word of God. Let that happen. The forces, the spiritual forces must be withstood. Only spiritual resources can combat spiritual forces. All attempts by the powers of darkness are fruitless if we as the people of Christ are using the resources or the armor, if you will, that God has given us. Don't settle. And remember this. If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Amen? Let's stand. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're facing today. But I know this. That in broad strokes... The reason the enemy has power over us is because we let him. The dominion was broken on the cross. And Jesus, when Jesus took the keys of death and hell in the grave, when he defeated sin, when he provided a way out for every single solitary one of us, that dominion was broken. And the only way the enemy can have dominion in our life is if we submit to it. 
we, we yield it. We yield ground. When you believe the lie, you yielded ground. When you believe the argument, you yielded ground. And the enemy comes in and he sets up this, this fortress and he puts a gate there and he puts a lock on that gate. But listen to me, as a child of God, when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord and in his mighty power and we recognize that the battle is the Lord's battle and we strengthen ourselves in him and we have his joy as our strength, we combat the wall, we combat the gate and the gates of hell will not prevail against the child of God. We have to do that. We have to do that. And greater is he that's in you than it's in the world. Jesus Christ is the supreme authority in the heavenly realms. Well, I wish he would just take care of Satan. He's going to. Just give it time. He's got a plan. I read the end of the book. You got a plan. It's a good one. But on this side, we got to live it. On this side, we got to take dominion. On this side, we got to, we got to deal with it, and we've got to combat it, and we combat spiritual forces with spiritual resources. Amen. And we're going to be going over through that one piece of armor at a time over the next few weeks. Okay. Bow your heads with me this morning for just a second. First thing I just want to ask this morning: Is there anybody in the room that would just say, "You know, Phil, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I, I want to be." And I'd like for you to pray for me. You're not going to join this church, and I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. I just want to ask you, I want Jesus as the Lord of my life, and I want you to pray for me. Just raise your hand and put it right back down. Anybody in the house? Yep. See that hand. Put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Just put it right back down. Anyone else in here? A couple of people. Anybody else? I don't want to shift until we... Everybody's had an opportunity. All right, if you raise your hand this morning, we're going to all pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray this prayer together, out loud. If you believe this prayer in your heart, and you're sincere about transformation in your life, then you're going to become a follower of Jesus in the next few moments. So all of us, all over the place, even there in your living room, you pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I confess you as my Lord. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise for those that come to faith this morning. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you believe that in your heart, in the back of that card there, we just fill that out, drop it by the, the hub or the information desk out here, the you belong here desk. We want to make sure you have the resources that you need to get started. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. Whatever you need, we'll get you started. But for the rest of us in the house this morning, over the next five or six weeks, however long it takes, you, you got to be ready and willing to utilize the resources that God has placed at our disposal. All of them. It says put on the full armor or the whole armor of God. And we're going to look at it a piece at a time over the next few weeks. Amen? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer and then Tommy's going to come and close us out today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jen. You.